Thanks for tuning into this podcast from KYMN Radio. Consider subscribing to get notifications the next time we post a podcast. And if you enjoy this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and share with a friend or on social media. Talking with Dr. Matt Hillman, the superintendent of Northfield Public Schools. Dr. Hillman, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Always great to spend time with you, Rich. It's always good to talk to you. And we are going to talk about the new district uh, testing center. Um, Before we get into that, I I, I think I'd like to set some context. And can you talk about how the quarantine portion of the health health protocols has been going and where we are numbers-wise and all that fun stuff? Yeah, so I think that the uh, the part that is always, of course, so disruptive for families is when we have to quarantine right. someone as a result of either um, because they have uh, some of the symptoms that are identified in the Minnesota Department of Health uh, decision tree, such as you know one more common symptom or two less common symptoms. Because when students are symptomatic and they have symptoms that you know could align with what COVID nineteen uh, could be, we of course want them to stay home. Right? We go back right. twenty months if you're if you're not feeling well, stay home. But, you know, parents know their kids pretty well, and they know my kid has fall allergies every fall, or they know that, you know, this this really seems like a cold. Uh, and so I think that part, you know, around quarantine when a student is symptomatic is something that, of course, is very disruptive for families. And we know families are taking their children in to uh, see the physician right. when they would not have done so before. So the symptomatic uh, testing that we're doing uh, in the district uh, at the district office is really to help provide just another um, another resource for families so that they can validate what their child might be experiencing, mm-hmm. and then can be able to send them back to school, uh, you know, fairly quickly uh, right. as a result. Right. It should not be our job, and I think most of society would say it should not be the school's job to have to provide COVID-19 testing. However, you know, we are trying to remove barriers for families. That's what we've been working on this whole year. We're trying to remove every barrier that we can to prioritize uninterrupted in-person learning. Um, When we talk about that, we're talking about that at the holistic level, but we're also trying to look at, at the individual level. So we're always balancing in terms of we don't want any student to have to quarantine, but the reason that we use quarantine as a tool is to avoid having a larger outbreak that could potentially require more students to be at home. Sure. So it's this it's this constant balancing act about our goal is wholeheartedly keeping kids in school, uninterrupted in-person learning, but right. also balancing that we are still in the throes of a global health pandemic and making sure that we limit exposure, that we make sure that we can keep all of our students in school, and sometimes we have to use quarantine as a result. We also recognize that this is incredibly disruptive for families. Mm-hmm. And so the state did offer a grant uh, for test, a testing center. Uh, we were uh, among the first third of school districts to uh, apply for that grant. The tests that we're getting are free right now from the state. We get about a $200,000 grant to be able to try to support staffing and some other kinds of things. And we are, of course, pretty conservative you know, with our money. So we started off, we're starting small. We're using the Q test, uh, you know, the, mm-hmm. it's C-U-E, like, you know, a cue ball. Yep. It's the Q test. Yep. And it's a rapid molecular test. And so you uh, basically how the testing center works is you roll up on 2nd Street. And so you're rolling up, you're going to face east on 2nd Street. There's a little cut in actually on the sidewalk there from when our early childhood center was there where people could pull in and then drop their kids off. Uh, So you pull into that. First of all, the first thing you do is you make an appointment, you know, via our uh, school district website. And um, our most recent news story has the link that people can use to make an appointment. You make that appointment, you fill out the form so we're ready for you when you come. We can't take people just showing up. We have to have these appointments ahead of time. Sure. People drive up. 
Um, Deb Gottfried is our uh, educational assistant, our health aide who is doing uh, the testing, and she's been trained in how to use the Q-test. Uh, she'll come out to your car. She'll uh, help get the nasal, uh, the nasal swab sample, if you will. She takes it back inside the building. Uh, it looks like, if you remember zip drives, it looks like a little bit of a zip drive, <laughs> a little bit smaller version of a zip drive. And we insert the nasal swab into that. And it uh, is really kind of its own freestanding laboratory. We have the ability right now, we have a total of 10 readers, but we really feel we can handle three or four at a time, just given our current circumstances. So about 20 minutes later, uh, you get your test result. We print out the test result. We bring it back out to your car and you're on your way. So uh, today is our first official day of testing. We sent the message to families at Monday at around 5.30. And by 8 o'clock, all 15 of the appointments were taken. Is that right? And so we are starting small. Yeah. We are not intending, Rich, to – we are intending to augment – the local and regional testing center system, right? You'd think at this point in the pandemic that, you know, this kind of testing would be ubiquitous, but it isn't. I think when we had no. that reduction in the summertime, yep. many of the larger laboratories, you know, kind of shut down. Back, yeah. And so it's, it's difficult to find a PCR or a molecular test. Uh, and that's what we're offering. Those are the gold standard. Those are the tests that, you know, are the most sensitive and give right. you the best information. So again, it's something that I think most reasonable people would agree we shouldn't have to do. Um, but it's another way that we can remove barriers for families. We're starting small, about 15 appointments per weekday, and we anticipate that we'll be able to grow that over time uh, as needed. Frankly, we really hope there's a less and less need for that testing. Uh, when you, uh, on the website, with uh, when you, where you go to sign up for uh, uh, an appointment, does that, so when, when it's full up today, can I make a test for tomorrow or can I make a test for Thursday? Or do you, are, are you releasing these appointment times every day? How's that going? Yeah, so the, the way that it works is that you are able to see the testing. Uh, so for example, today I, I don't see anything. I see there's no tests available today. It doesn't even let me click on today, for example. Tomorrow it shows me um, that we have a handful of appointments for tomorrow. There's a, a total of five remaining. And as people take those, then they come off the list. And you're able to schedule only two days out at a time. So people okay. could actually schedule now for Thursday, but they can't yet schedule for Friday. Got and it. so it. it's really just trying to keep that. I'm, I'm not exactly sure the total number of hours. And it looks like it's probably 48 hours in advance is what it looks like it's allowed to do. So even if, even if all of Thursday opens up and today is Tuesday, uh, I won't be able to schedule for Friday until tomorrow. Correct. Okay. All right. At least that's how we think the system works. We're still, we're using a, there's multiple pieces of software we're using to manage this. This is definitely 1.0. Today is day one. So now just so I understand how this, how this works and how this would affect me if if it was one of my kids, um, my kid gets, uh, gets exposed. Okay. And, 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 you know, he's sitting at lunch with another kid who comes positive. And so he has to quarantine. Sure. If they meet the criteria. Right. I get the notification. Right. Your son is going to have to quarantine. Um, If I make an appointment and get my son tested and then my son comes back negative within 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever it is, on one of the tests that the district is offering, a molecular test, he can then return to school. So there's two different pieces that we're talking about, Rich. Right now we've been talking about symptomatic students, right? Right. So students who have you know, either one common symptom or two less common symptoms. Yes. When we talk about exposure, right, at this point, those are students who are, if we're talking about students who have been exposed who are without symptoms yet, um, we aren't able to support them with this test at this point. Got it. 
So when I've been exposed, of course, we know that the um, incubation period, you know, with the Delta variant of mm-hmm. COVID-19 is much shorter, mm-hmm. right, than the previous version. So we're hopeful that we're seeing, um, if, if students are going to become sick, we're hopeful that we're seeing that a little bit more quickly. But we're still following the Minnesota Department of Health decision tree. And so if, if we have a student who's been truly exposed, which means and we have a lot of uh, mitigation layers in place to try to avoid that, um, there are some circumstances where students do meet the criteria. Our criteria, our local criteria that we've adopted is that you have been within six feet of someone unmasked mm-hmm. for a period of 15 or more minutes. So right. we're talking about very limited amount of exposure quarantine. Right. Unfortunately, in that circumstance, we don't have yet a test for those students. So those students okay. need to quarantine okay. until such time. It, it's, it, it depends 10 days from the date of exposure. Okay. And sometimes one of the reasons that we started our testing center is that we are seeing some people who are waiting three, four, five days in some cases for, well, two or three days for their results, but they might not even be able to get a test for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So sometimes parents will get the notification and they'll say, wait a minute, I'm getting this notification, but the last date of exposure was six days ago. How does yeah. that make sense? completely valid and fair question totally. but the issue is we're not sending students home until we know that there was a positive you know COVID-19 case and that has been um, delayed because of some of the testing issues when we we've, we've got students who are symptomatic they've sure. had to go to another community they've had to use the vault test which is a great test but you got to send it in you got to wait for your results yep. we for for those students who have been exposed and are not showing symptoms we want to get those kids back to mm-hmm. The next layer of our testing protocol, which is just not here yet, because as we all know, we've talked about uh, before supply chain issues. Mm-hmm. We, um, over a month ago, or about a month ago, approximately a month ago, ordered another set of tests called the Binax Now. And now the Binax Now is a test that we plan to use. It's an antigen test, which we normally don't accept antigen tests for students who are symptomatic, right? Even okay. if you look at the, the instructions on the box of an antigen test, right. these are the kinds you can go to Walgreens or to another pharmacy and purchase. If you are symptomatic and you get a negative result, the instructions on the test say, go get a PCR or a molecular test. So we have not accepted those for symptomatic students. Okay. Working with uh, an epidemiologist who sits on our uh, incident command team, Dr. Ben Miller, we've worked through this concept of a test to stay program. So in the coming weeks, once we get this Binax Now test, in the circumstance that you said, when you have a student who maybe has been exposed uh, at lunch, for example, they were unmasked eating, they're more than 15 minutes, we've tried to verify that to the best of our ability, and a student has to be able to quarantine. We would then give families, the, the concept is, and this may change, because again, version 0.5 here, not right, 1.0 right, yet, right. we would give a family four boxes of the Binax Now test. Right now we're looking, and there's two tests in each one of those boxes. It's an over-the-counter piece that we're getting from the state. What you would do is you would take that test in the morning. Mm -hmm. You would uh, write your student's name and the date on it. You'd take a photo of it, and you'll send that in as your, uh, if if the test is negative, the student could come to school. They would do this for a certain number of days, which we have not quite yet determined. Got it. um, So that they are testing every day during that quarantine period instead of quarantining. Sure. So... That is something that we know that has been very successful in the United Kingdom. It's not officially endorsed yet by the CDC, but the CDC has said that it does have promise. Um, But we're comfortable after looking at some of the data behind some of the UK pieces that we are comfortable, um, especially when you hit some of that day six or seven, you know, that we feel that that antigen test when taken every day, if you are going to develop uh, the virus, you're going to, we'll be able to know, right? And Mm -hmm. then you will stay home. So this is the concept that we have uh, around um, 
this test to stay program. Now, there's another very important piece that we anticipate is going to start this week that will also have a major impact on this very disruptive quarantine piece. I want to come back, Rich, and just emphasize the total number of people who we have quarantined this year is minuscule compared to last year. And at the same time, it is very disruptive for parents. All of of the federal uh, support programs are gone, right? The additional 10 days that every employer needed to provide to people, the additional unemployment time if people just for their own schedule needed to stay home. We know all of those programs are gone. So we we do not take any delight in asking a student to quarantine. But we come back to this balance of making sure we can prioritize holistic, uninterrupted in-person learning. We want it for everybody, right? But we're trying to look at it at that holistic nature. So the game changer that we anticipate is going to start this week is vaccination for students ages 5 through 11. Yeah. And so the first question when a person has been exposed is, are you vaccinated? Mm-hmm. Right? Have you been vaccinated? Because if you've been exposed and you are vaccinated, the CDC says you do not need to quarantine. So that is going to reduce, again, even further a significant uh, amount of any kind of quarantine that we might have. Now, Rich, uh, how many times have I been on the air where I have said, vaccination is a personal choice. Yes. Many times. Right? Every every yep. time. <laughs> and so we certainly recognize that people have an individual choice in whether or not to have their child vaccinated. As a district, we are unabashed about sharing the information about vaccination because what we have heard from all of the uh, large medical professional organizations is that the vaccinations are safe, they are effective, they are not going to prevent everyone from getting COVID-19. That's not what it's intended to do. Does it prevent people from sometimes getting? Yes, it does. It does have that protective layer, but it also reduces the symptoms and the impact of a virus if a person does get it. And so the key thing is we want to share this information with families. Um, we are going to host a, a vaccination clinic, not at any of our uh, of our elementary schools. It will actually we're planning to host it most likely at the Northfield Community Education Center Great. after school hours, right? So it won't be in a traditional school. Mm-hmm. It'll be outside the school day. We want to have a firewall, right, so that parents you know have complete confidence that yep, that's where we can choose to go get vaccinated. We know that there's going to be a number of other resources in the community for their children five to eleven to get vaccinated. That is the the real game changer when it comes to quarantine is making sure that we have uh, the opportunities for people who wish their children to be vaccinated to get vaccinated. I strongly encourage people to look at the Minnesota Department of Health's website. I'll provide you the link to look at what the experts are saying about the safety and the efficacy of uh, the vaccine. And then, of course, Rich, the best thing to do, you know, I've got three of my own kids. You've got our kids are all older, right? Yep. But I know who I would have been talking to if my children were in this. I would have been talking to my pediatrician. Absolutely. And we have outstanding medical care in this community with top shelf pediatricians. Yes, we do. And so I strongly encourage families, if you have a question, which is totally reasonable, talk to your pediatrician and ask about, you know, what their take is on the vaccination for your child. So we know that when it comes to quarantine, we have multiple uh, mitigation layers to try to avoid that. But unfortunately, from time to time, we are not going to be able to completely avoid it. Our goal is none. Um, we all look forward to a day when Mad Hillman does not come to KYMN Radio and talk about this because we are all exhausted by it. Yeah. We want it to be over. We but we also have to be realistic. It is not over. If yeah. you look at the latest data, we have even with the cases going down in Rice County, which they've now dropped two weeks in a row. This is great. But we still are at more cases over the same reporting period than we were one year ago. Is that this time one year ago, where we actually saw the cases 
dramatically increase over right. a period of a few weeks. We're seeing this go down now. And I think that, of course, we're in a, such a different public health situation this fall than we were last year, just knowing more about how the virus operates, understanding what are the circumstances in the places where it's more likely to spread versus places that it's not. We are we are living the research on this as we keep working through this and, and, and learning how this thing operates. But we know that our medical experts are you know sharing with us that that these are the things that we can do to try to finally knock this thing out. Okay. So the testing uh, center is at the district office. Does that disrupt anything in the district offices? I mean, how does that? Uh... Yeah. So this is it's actually quite great because it's uh, people would come to door two. So you're going to again, as I said before, you're going to uh, pull your car in on a second street. And if you don't have a car. Um, no problem, right? If you just make sure that you put that in the notes and we'll accommodate you, no mm-hmm. worries. But uh, for people who do have a vehicle, you pull in on 2nd Street uh, on the north side of the building. You're facing east as you pull into that cutout. In fact, on our website as part of the message, there's a little aerial map that you can look at to see where you should park. And so it's it's actually, uh, we're operating it out of a room right next to our uh, school board meeting room. So okay. it is a room that, uh, we're, that we use typically for curriculum and technology inventory work. Um, so it is not disrupting uh, the school district offices. It's actually quite convenient for people. You just pull in. Um, it's a room that we will use a, a lot in the summer or in the fall when we're, when we're ex- getting new materials in, but we, we are able to uh, repurpose it right now for this purpose. Fantastic. So it's not being disruptive. It's it's quite a distance away from you know where our area learning center students who are on the second floor of the district office at ALC yep. building, yep. Uh, the former Longfellow building for longtime mm-hmm. listeners. Yep. Uh, and again, um, it's it's far enough away from you know the rest of the district offices where it's not impacting traffic, it's not impacting uh, a number of those things. So we feel very fortunate to have the facility to do it. Uh, we wanted to be able to have it outside of our regular school so that people could have a central location just for efficiency. Again, we know we're fairly conservative when it comes to trying to make sure that we're getting the best we can for our money. Uh, we're good stewards of, of the taxpayer dollar. We've talked about that a number Indeed. of times. And we want to make sure that we get the most out of this grant that we've had from the state. Okay. One more question. Um, I had a, a, a story this morning in the news about the uh, the Mankato School Board. Um, there's still a lot of contention. And I think this is pretty uh, common throughout school board meetings across the country. In fact, I, I'm, I'm aware of a lot of it. Not so much in Northfield, but just... It's all about the, the the health protocols and the measure safety measures that are being taken. Can you just sort of characterize how you think the uh, the protocols are working right now? I mean, are, can you just kind of give us an idea of, of where we are in this whole thing? Absolutely. So I, I think that the one piece I'm I'm going to share is that you know we've had really good attendance at our school board meetings, and we have had people who have vigorously engaged in debate. But when you compare what we have experienced overall to other places, um, we have had a very civil conversation, something I'm very proud of. Yeah. I mean, it's not that we haven't had a, some minor issues, right? But the truth is that I think Norfield can be proud of the way that we are bringing our voices to this issue in a public forum like the school board. So we have no issue with vigorous debate, but we do expect it to be civil. And so far, for the most part, not 100%, but for the most part, it has been civil, and I I would expect nothing less than from Northfielders. I have said on this radio station many times, when this is over, we are going to have to look back, and we yeah. are going to have to say, how did we do? How did we treat each other during one of the most difficult times of our lives? And we want to be proud of how we did. It doesn't mean that we weren't perfect at what did. It doesn't mean that we you know, hit our emotion or, or those kinds of things. What it means is that 
We treated our neighbors well. We asked a tough question. We expected some uh, a reasonable response. We always have to understand we're not going to uh, completely agree, but we're going to do so in a way that when we are done with this, we can look at each other and say, vigorous debate, quality discussion, not agreement, right? But we did so in a way that we can proud of, be, be proud of because we treated our friends and neighbors uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that we can uh, – we think of as a civil and productive manner. Right. When it comes to the protocols, uh, when I look across the state, um, what I would suggest say is that the data suggests that our layers of mitigation are working. I'm going to give you two pieces of data for us to take a look at. Uh, so one, you know, we update our dashboard every day. Mm-hmm. And so we have been transparent with the total numbers of, of cases, both active and, and total through the year. There's two resources uh, that we've been looking at lately, one of which is from the State Department of Health. They have now modified the way that they produce their Thursday report, and they do a a look at each school district over a two-week reporting period, and they look at how many cases there to begin with. If you had at least five um, active cases reported within a two-week period, you were on uh, that particular listing from the state. There was some reasonable feedback uh, to the state. Well, that, that is lumping in schools that maybe had five or six cases with schools who had 45 cases. Right. So last Thursday, uh, the state reformatted how it's reporting its school cases, and it's giving ranges. So okay. they've got five, four or five, four two-week reporting periods on the website right now. And it shows any school that is on that listing, it shows did they have five to nine, did they have 10 to 19, 20 to 20, so on and so forth. And I think if uh, your listeners take a look at that report from last week, you'll see we've had two Northfield schools who during those four, period, four reporting periods were on one time each. Northfield High School was on very early on in the five to nine range. Mm-hmm. Bridgewater Elementary just a couple of weeks ago was on the listing, uh, in, again, in the five to nine range. Um, but when you look at other uh, school systems, you know, in differing levels of protocols um, who are about our similar size or larger, I think you will uh, come to the conclusion that our protocols uh, have been working. Right. There's also a University of Minnesota professor, um, Dr. Wolfson, who's been producing this uh, website for quite some time. Uh, I haven't used it a ton, but what it does, it allows you to take a, and it lines up all of the school districts in Minnesota. And he does a little bit differently. He counts all of the people and all of the zip codes that that school district serves. So it's not perfect, but you can see all of the Minnesota schools lined up from the least number of cases per 100,000 residents to the most. Mm-hmm. Now, when you get at the edges of those, if you have a really small school district, that can be challenging to really do some interpretive data. Sure. But when you look at, if you hover over and you see where we stack up, and certainly the bottom seventh or eighth in terms of the least number of cases mm-hmm. per 100,000 residents, and you look to the right, I think that what the data is showing is that um, we are seeing less cases uh, because of our protocols right. than we would without it. Right. Does, just out of curiosity, does that uh, that line does it does it show which schools have more protocols than it others? It does not. Yeah, I would be curious to know that uh, that data myself. But yeah. I am sure there are people who are collecting that you know data as I as have we to speak. believe there are. Yeah. yeah. All right, Dr. Matt Hillman. We want to thank you for your time, sir. It Thanks is my pleasure. Us. All right. Enjoy weekends with Wendy Saturday and Sunday mornings here on the One. Thanks for listening to this KYMN radio podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it interesting, consider leaving us a review and sharing this podcast on social media. You can find more podcasts like it on our website, kymnradio.net, or wherever you get your podcasts, simply by searching the KYMN radio podcast. 
And of course, you can listen to us live on 95.1 FM, 1080 AM, and on our website. KYMN is your home for real radio, true variety. 